I'm Eileen Dunn and this is The God Slot. African religious leaders are appealing for an end to violence against Muslims in the Central African Republic as thousands flee to neighbouring Chad and Cameroon. In recent weeks, a pro-Christian militia known as Anti-Balaka or Anti-Machete has killed and mutilated Muslims as they've tried to leave the capital Bangui by the truckload. In his presidential address to the General Synod in London on Wednesday, the Archbishop of Canterbury called on Anglicans to embrace a cultural change in the life of the Church and to abandon old fears, suspicions and prejudices as the introduction of female bishops draws a step closer. Most Reverend Justin Welby reflected on love and fear in the wake of his recent trips to South Sudan, Burundi, Rwanda and the Democratic Republic of the Congo and urged his followers to find new ways of working together. And a year after the event, a new book claims that Pope Benedict XVI's historic decision to resign the papacy was prompted by medical advice. In Diary of a Vaticanista, Gianluca Barile says that while Benedict had been thinking of resignation, it was the advice of his doctor that prompted him to make the decision. Always in the news is Benedict's successor, Pope Francis. Paul Vallely, who wrote a biography of the Pope called Pope Francis, Untying the Knots, was in Dublin last week and met Jerry McCardle, who asked him if Francis really has a master plan or if he's making the whole thing up as he goes along. It both. both. He's making it up as he goes along, like those sermons that he does in, uh, every morning. But anybody who knows him from his days in Argentina will have heard him say those things before. One of the mistakes that people make about the church is that they look at it like a spectrum from left to right, progressive to conservative, whatever, and that kind of axis of, of uh, where, where do you sit on that. But there's another axis as well in the church, and it's the axis between um, centralised and local. And nobody quite knows where Francis is on this conservative, liberal axis yet. Uh, but clearly he's in the local end of the other axis. He's not in the in the centralised one. He thinks the Vatican should be the servant of the church, the local church, and not its master. And one of the things he was really cross about when he was in Argentina was the way that junior officials in the Vatican would send out you know, uh, peremptory instructions uh, uh, to, to, to seasoned figures like him telling him what to do and he, he actually said at one point to one of his advisors uh, who are these people in this you know shrinking church in uh, in Italy to be telling us in the in the in the, in the third world where we've got this huge growing uh, Christianity that we're we're doing it wrong yes he had a growing church but what kind of church what sort of Catholicism was being practiced I mean it was almost bordering on a superstition kind of Catholicism, wasn't it, where they, they would revere relics and, and, and local saints. That modern Catholicism, for want of a better expression, uh, seems to think can be dispensed with. Do you, do you know what I'm getting at? I know what you're getting at, and he wouldn't agree with you at all. Uh, he, would, he would say that, that, you, that, you, that you're basically talking about the Enlightenment, aren't you? That the Enlightenment did away with the old way of being religious and brought in a new kind of logical, rational way of being religious. That's, that's Benedict's view, faith and reason. Francis uh, 
sees value in the pieties of, of the ordinary people, what you know you might disparagingly call a peasant religion, you know, folk folk religion. He sees real virtue in that and he thinks that that it's through ritual and sacrament that um, that people ordinary people communicate with God and they're not in intellectuals, they don't have to have a rational understanding of, of the faith. So there'd be people in the Jesuits who he would have disagreed with on that because he they they would have seen a lot of this as, as peasant superstition. When he went to Buenos Aires and he used to go and spend a lot of time in the slums with the poor, they taught him something about their faith. And he's actually said to priests in the slums, you have to learn from the poor. You're not here to teach the poor. And so he wouldn't accept your categorization of the kind of the old superstition and the new rational religion. Uh, he thinks it's more it's deeper and more kind of mystical than that. Uh, Ollie would never articulate it in that way. The really tricky thing, of course, that he has to face, uh, and it's all over the newspapers at the moment, child abuse. The UN committee has criticised the church, issued a scathing report. What's he going to do? Well, the UN report was, was uh, a, a, a tactical error. They, they've overplayed their hand. They, everything they said about ch the church and child abuse was right. And, um, but, but by then going for contraception, gay rights and uh, abortion, and making it a kind of you know, blunderbuss broadside on uh, all the church values, it, it's allowed the Vatican to come back and start talking about those other things. And the, the UN had missed a chance because they should have said, right, it's only about sex abuse, what are you going to do about it? And then the Vatican would have had to answer. And the, the answer is, we don't know what he's, what he's going to do about sex abuse. He set up this commission, but we've heard very little about what it's going to do. We know that he floated the idea to cardinals of setting up local courts throughout the world who would deal very draconianly and very swiftly with, uh, with, 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 with uh, sex-abusing priests. But, 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 but we don't sorry. know whether he's going to go ahead with that, because it's not... Because obviously there's, there's, there's uh, a criticism of that which says that, yeah, well, so you'll have, you'll have really kind of draconian clampdowns in some parts and in other parts of the church, uh, you know, it might be a bit lax because you're going to allow it to be decentralised. And that, you know, you can't allow it to be lax. So, so he's, he, it, it, there may be a philosophical conundrum at the heart of that that he's got to, he's got to deal with. But it's clear that on, on sex abuse... Um, the church needs to be put in best practice and clamp down and it needs to cooperate with um, secular authorities, report these priests to the police and it needs to prioritise the, um, uh, the, the, the victims and not try and buy them off or shut them up. So on all of those things the UN were right. He needs to, to tell us how he's going to do that. Now when he was in Argentina he was very strict with that there weren't many sex abusing priests but he was very strict with them. But he acted in as the church. He got rid of them, defrocked them, but he didn't report them to the police. Now, and, and isn't that what the survivors are saying? To heck with your courts and your ecclesiastical courts. We want these guys arrested. We want them to face the law of the land. We want them to face the full rigours because they've committed a crime. Previous popes like Benedict and John Paul talked in terms of mortal sin. These people are saying, no, it's a crime, it's against the law, and they must face the full rigours of the law, and do what you like with your ecclesiastical courts. Yeah, well, he's got to, he's got to get to grips with that, and uh, we don't know how he's going to do it. Uh, it's, it that's an, it's an open question. But that is clearly what, um, 
you know, could bring his, the, his great honeymoon to an end. If he doesn't do something on this, and he, he's, he, can't, he can't just uh, delay, he will have to give some indication of what, of, of what he's going to do. And uh, um, the, uh, the, the UN just should have nailed the church, and, they, and, and by doing this broad uh, criticism, they've, they've allowed the Vatican to wriggle out. And, we, you know, the Vatican cannot wriggle out of this. It has to be, it has to be addressed. And the, the issue of should priests who offend be reported to the police, the, the, the Vatican split on that inside. Some, some people think, no, we should deal with it as the church. Others think, no, it should go to the police. He needs to give us a clear line on this, a clear lead. I was talking to uh, Sister Helen Prejean recently, and uh, one of the things you know I put to her was that he has upheld the findings of the apostolic visitation, uh, which labelled the women religious in the United States as radical feminists and a few other things. And he has upheld that. And she said something to me very interesting. She said, okay, yeah, yeah, he's very new on the job. She says, but nothing's going to happen. Uh, we can have whatever speakers we like. We can have whatever meetings we like. Nobody has clamped down on us. And she said, nobody's going to. Well, he made that clear. He talked to um, 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 religious priests uh, from um, Latin America, and they wrote it all down and put it on their website, what he said. I don't think he intended that. But he said to them, look, you might get investigated by the CDF, but just carry on with your work. Um, so he's clearly a man who isn't going to change the rules. He's not going to say you can do this now where you couldn't do it before, but he's going to say, if you do that, then you know we're not going to come after you. So he, again... All these metaphors that he's used about, you know, the church should be a, a, a battlefield a hospital, patching up the wounded. All of his priority is on how do you care for people. And he's, he's politically astute enough to know that he can't change all the rules on, on a, a raft of things that conservatives and traditionalists could get up in arms about. But he's just saying, as he said on when, when he was talked about, he talked about the hot button issues, you know, abortion and... Uh, um, sexual ethics and gay rights and all that. He said, look, the church shouldn't be talking about this all the time. He didn't say whether he agreed with it or not. And when, when, when he was asked about the, um, uh, the, 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 the issue of, of gays, he said, who am I to judge? That's a question. It's not an answer. So what he's doing is he's, he's, being, he's being clever in the way that he, he, he deals with these issues. Um, he's giving out signals that he doesn't agree with them, but he's not saying he doesn't agree with them. But people who have waited for so long for some movement, like, for example, uh, gay people who, you know, that they, they feel that the church is a very cold place for them at the moment. They feel the most the church can offer them is a life of celibacy and suffering and offer it up to God. And they will want to see something more. They'll want to see some kind of movement rather than kind of vague aspirational things. Yeah, well the secular world is never going to be satisfied with what the church is going to say about all this kind of thing because they, they, they're on a much more radical ideological agenda. But if you talk to gay Catholics, gay, gay Catholics are, are, are very positive about the Pope. Um, and they, they feel that uh, you know, the, the church is about sacrament and ritual. It's not about philosophical treatises and, and rules. 
But it and, also and, was and, about so, the, so no, no, sorry, Paul. But it was certainly, and and under the last two popes, it also was about look, you must do this for your salvation, or you will not be saved. What's the alternative to salvation? Hell. Is hell going to be dropped now from the vocabulary altogether? I think that um, one cardinal said to me about the, this pope, the thing you've got to remember about him is he plays for the same team as us, but he kicks the ball in a different direction. And he's not going to change the rules on the things that you've just mentioned, but he's not going to enforce them. And he's going to be saying to people, what you need to prioritise is something entirely different. It's the poor church for the poor, and it's, about, it's a message of love and pastoral care. That's what he's, he's, he's going to push. So don't expect the impossible. He's not going to change the rules. He's just going to do something different. Paul Vallely talking to Jerry McArdle and Paul's book is called Pope Francis Untying the Knots. As you heard in that piece, the UN report on child abuse still haunts the Catholic Church. We did ask the Catholic Press Office for a spokesperson to discuss this and the Press Office gave us the following statement. As it was Vatican representatives who made a recent presentation to the United Nations and the UN subsequently published a response report to them, the appropriate source for comment is the Holy See Press Office and not the local church here in Ireland. We've been unable to contact the Holy See Press Office, but to discuss the UN report, we're joined now by child protection activist Mary Collins. Mary, could I ask you to address what Paul Vallely said in that last interview about the UN making a tactical error by bringing in abortion and homosexuality? The impression has been given that uh, the report came out and said that the church has to change its teachings and its doctrines on homosexuality and abortion. And this had nothing to do with children's rights, which is their remit. And I think it's very important that we see that that's not true, although it's been used to divert from the core issues they raised. And for anyone who hasn't read the report, it's a very short report and easy to read, I'd like to make it clear what they actually did say. When they were talking about abortion, they spoke about it only in the context of one particular case, which they specified. They said, the committee expresses its deepest concern that in the case of a nine-year-old girl in Brazil who underwent an emergency life-saving abortion in 2009 after being uh, raped by a stepfather, they want to say that the mother of the girl and the doctor who carried out the abortion, they were both sanctioned by the Catholic Church. They were, in fact, excommunicated. And the committee urges, this is their words again, the committee urges the Holy See to review its position on abortion with places of risks on the life and health of pregnant girls in the context of this nine-year-old child. And they ask them to amend Canon 1398 relating to abortion with a view to identifying circumstances under which access to abortion services can be permitted. Now, that is a very long way from saying you must change your doctrine, you must change your teaching. They're asking that this canon be changed to make it clear where terminations can be permitted. And I think this is perfectly reasonable. That's their, that their only piece about abortion. So they were not asking for doctrine change or anything else. When it came to uh, homosexuality, they again put it in the context of the child or the adolescent. And they note the positive progress and the positive statement delivered in July 2013 by Pope Francis. But they say they are concerned about the Holy See's past statements and declarations on homosexuality. 
as they say, which contributed to the social stigmatization and violence against lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender adolescents and children raised by same-sex couples. So they're worried about those very fierce, harsh words that were said in the past by the Holy See and the effect those would have on children of same-sex parents or young adolescent homosexuals. The committee asked the Holy See uh, to make full use of its moral authority to condemn all forms of harassment, discrimination or violence against children based on their sexual orientation or the sexual orientation of their parents. Now, that is very much part of their remit. They are worrying about children being stigmatised, harassed, bullied because of their orientation. That, again, is a long, long way from them telling the Holy See or the Catholic Church it must change its doctrines or its teachings on homosexuality. And I would encourage people to read it. It's yeah. very short. It's, it's only it's 16 to read. pages long. Now, and there's only a couple of paragraphs on homosexuality What's your view of the overall report? Do you think it gets it right? I think it does. Uh, it does give credit for progress, um, that again, it's been said that it doesn't. But in fact, if you read the port, almost every section starts off by a reference to the progress that's been made. Uh, it also was not written before they met with the representatives of the Holy See, which has been suggested because there are a number of references to the dialogue with the representatives of the Holy See in January. Uh, on the child abuse issue, I think their core uh, recommendations are very important and I would agree with every one of them. They ask that the new commission, which the Pope, has set, Pope Francis has set up, they ask that not only will it investigate child abuse cases, but to look at the Catholic hierarchy and how they deal with and have dealt with those cases. And I, as a survivor, would, and every survivor in the world, I think, feels that that is the problem. Bishops and superiors their actions have not been investigated by the church. They also want uh, the immediate removal of all known and suspected child abusers from assignments because we keep thinking in the context of maybe Ireland and, and other countries where these things are now happening. This uh, United Nations Committee are thinking of other countries around the world, Africa and other places, where these things are still going on. What was happening here 10, 15 years ago is happening there now. Um, and they also ask for the transparent sharing of all archives which can be used to hold the abusers accountable as well as those who conceal their crimes. Again, this is something that survivors have been asking for. Um, and they also ask, and this is probably another case where they say they're wanting to interfere, they, often, they also ask that the canon law which considers child abuse a moral sin that they amend that to include the fact that it's a crime. You talk about the Pastoral Commission for the Protection of Minors. That was set up last December. Mm -hmm. They call on that commission to invite civil society and victims' organisations to participate. Would you participate in that commission? You went to Rome a couple of years ago to attend hearings. I would definitely take part if, if I was asked, and I'm sure many other survivors and survivor organisations organizations would do so. I know they have, when they made the announcement of it, they said they would speak to experts who deal with survivors, etc., um, which is putting them at arm's length away from actual survivors. And I think nobody can know better about the issue and how it affects survivors and how their cases were handled than survivors themselves. Now, again, referring back to the interview with Paul Vallely, 
Is it the contention of the UN that ecclesiastical courts and barring abusing priests and nuns is all very well and a matter for the church's internal discipline, but offenders must be brought before local courts as well? That's correct. I mean, certainly canon law trials, if you like, uh, that's internal courts, uh, they have been increased and that's how these priests are being laicised, etc. But internal discipline and... uh, bringing these people to justice within the church and penalising them within the church, that cannot happen alone. It must go alongside the prosecution under the criminal system. And one of the things the committee asks for is that victims who take part in these proceedings should not be sworn to secrecy. What we saw happening with Father Sean Brady in 1975, where victims were sworn to secrecy, it would appear that is still in force. It hasn't changed. And this secrecy is what protects the perpetrator. So the report is saying, we want you to scrap and do away with all these requirements for secrecy. It also points out that there is secrecy within the canon law and within the church around anyone who would make something public. And it points to situations in some countries where priests and nuns have been ostracised, harassed and even fired because they broke that secrecy. And the galling thing for survivors around the world is not one bishop has been fired for protecting an abuser. People are saying, well, what more can the Vatican do and how do they actually show that they have changed? And my feeling is there's, there is one very clear way to show that you really have changed and get it, and that is if you remove all the bishops from office who protected abusers. I think it's the it's the feeling still there that if you remove a bishop, that would be a huge scandal. They they don't seem to be able to grasp that leaving them in place is a much bigger scandal. So there are actions they could take. And that's definitely. the overarching conclusion of this report too, isn't it? That the, the reputational damage was was more important than this the report children. has has. Uh, gone along and, and, and backed up what survivors have been saying in so many countries, what reports have been saying in so many countries, that they, they have preserved the reputation above uh, the rights of the child. And I would definitely hope people will read this, not just go by what has been said, and a lot of misleading statements have been made. And the issues in it um, cover many areas of the rights of the child. It's only 16 pages long and it's easy to read. It's not dense. It's not a huge tome. And uh, it's very important. And and I hope people within the church, priests, uh, anyone within the church will also read it because I think it's important they understand what it is saying and not what commentators think it might be saying. And finally, your reaction to the statement issued to us from the Catholic Press Office here. Well, it saddens me because it looks very much just like splitting hairs and using it to avoid comment. Mary Collins, thank you for joining us.
Our email address is godslot at rte.ie. Our phone number is 01-208-2039 and the postal address is the Godslot, RTE Radio 1, Dublin 4. Before we go, this is the Feast of St. Valentine and for all those who are in love, who were in love once and who may be in love in the future, we're going to leave you with one of the greatest love songs of all time. From the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, love was never expressed more eloquently than this. Until next Friday, Gugudi Jiyashif. How beautiful you are, my love, how very beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats moving down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them is bereaved. Your lips are like a crimson thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built in courses. On it hang a thousand bucklers, all of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that feed among the lilies. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will hasten to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Sanir and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. <laughs>